Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. And uh, yeah, I just want to echo what Sue said, how much we appreciate you folks being behind us in our ministry over there in Africa. And um, yeah, uh, we've so appreciated you praying for us and being behind us for the 35 years that we've been over there. I know we don't look that old, right? Uh, very good. Yeah, I think we're going to have a scripture pro projected that I want to use as my text this morning. So we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. If you'll turn in your Bibles there. First Peter chapter 2, and we will read from verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. <clears throat> Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let us pray, shall we? Dear Lord, Thank you for your word. Thank you that it continues to remind us of who we are in Christ. Thank you for the many ways in which you remind us that we are called to be a people, a people who are different, a people who stand out 
from the culture around us, that you have called us to represent you in this world well. And so, Lord, may you, by your Spirit, continue to do your good work in us and through us. May we be found faithful. And it's in your good name we pray. Amen. Yeah, good. As you look at the text, um, I want to deal a little bit with this idea of rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So it starts a little bit negatively, doesn't it? Okay? And... Um, Peter was writing to a people who were in dispersion. They'd been persecuted, and now they were found in different places as they've had to, as it were, flee persecution. And when you are persecuted, when you're, yeah, when people, as it were, look down upon you and treat you ill, what can be a tendency? That's right. We can respond in ways where malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind can sort of begin to characterize our speech. And what Peter wants to do is remind these believers that that should not be true of you whether you're doing it to those around you or whether you are doing it to those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ, this should not characterize us. We've just come through an election cycle. Okay, and didn't you just love those uplifting advertisements? <laughs> you know, uh, they said such good things about each other. Okay, yeah, you know, and as you listen to those ads which were supposed to be promoting someone, okay, um, did you find that very life-giving? I certainly didn't. I found it, much of it had to do with malice and slander. Okay, and something deep within you sort of wishes, wow, couldn't, couldn't we do this better? Couldn't we stick to the issues, maybe? Okay, so I think that should be a wonderful reminder, and I was so glad when it was done. You know, I just longed for the day when those ads were finished. So if you watched the football game, at least it wasn't interrupted with, slander and malice. And so I think that should just be a good example to us of how these sins should not characterize us as God's people. And the sad thing about these sins that Peter mentions here, and I'm not going to go into great depth here, is often it comes out of a world that is very narrow. 
okay? It's a shrunken world. It's not a world where you are living for others. It's not a world where you're seeking the good of others, which is very much our calling. And yes, we want as God's people to be able to speak truth into our life situations, and we want godly truth to be out there. But it's not going to be promoted, it's not going to work well when we are given to bringing people down. And so we are called to a different way within our culture. And that's what Paul was saying to people in his day. I mean, Peter. He was saying, don't live this way. What should rather characterize us? Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. So, where do we find good spiritual milk? It's from the scriptures. It's where our desire is to become more and more like Christ. As we look at the scriptures, what is at the center of the scriptures? Jesus. So how do we become more like him? As we read the scriptures, as those things, as it were, permeate our souls. Okay? And I would like to suggest to you that when it comes to these matters, we need each other. We really do. Okay? So we can hear a sermon on put off malice, deceit, slander, hypocrisy, etc. Okay? Are sermons good? Sure. But uh, how's it going for you? Just hearing a, a sermon on put off malice and slander. Okay, I would like to suggest to you that sermons are kind of limited. I can stand up here this morning and say, don't do these things. But often in the midst of life, what happens? Stuff comes out, right? Okay? And sometimes we have to have a brother or sister in Christ come alongside us and say, in love, and you know that they care about you, and they have a relationship with you, and they say a word that helps you recognize that what's coming out of your mouth is not good, not building up. It's maybe tearing others down very subtly. And so we need each other. We need brothers and sisters in Christ who will help us Drink, as it were, the milk, spiritual milk, where we become increasingly more and more like Jesus Christ, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And so all of us are in the process of maturing, growing. Okay, none of us have arrived. I will continue to grow until they put me in the grave. 
And there are things that I constantly need to be reminded of. Whether it's in a setting like this or where brothers and sisters are building into my life. And that's one of the things that we have so deeply appreciated about being part of this recent ministry at East Mountain is we could talk into one another's lives, where we could talk into the lives of the residents. And often it's in the process of work, of doing, of living life, that what? Stuff comes out. Okay? If we don't have connections and relationships with one another, then we never really get to know the real self, who we are. Okay? So Sue has to sometimes remind me of, is that good? Is that right? And so we need one another. And also, I want to just say this about sin. When we hear certain sins mentioned, and maybe we see ourselves in the picture that's being portrayed, what is our vision of God when we sin? I would like to suggest to you that sometimes we have a very negative view of God. Yes, we know that our sins are forgiven. But I think when we sin, sometimes what can happen is we can form a very sort of distant view of God. Our idea of God very often is, I sin, and between God and me now is my pile of sin, right? Okay, so here I stand, and there's my sin, and who's on the other side? God. And God's sort of pointing his finger at me. What are you doing? Why are you sinning? I like what one author says. He says, we begin to form the fake God. We imagine him staring at us with a thin smile and a measured nod. He has to love us but he's not sure he likes us. His arms are folded. He wears an expression of, yes, your sins are forgiven, your tickets punched for eternity, but don't get lazy. You've got to stop being such a slug. And don't think I missed that last wrong thought you had four minutes ago. I'm not stupid. I still keep a list. I just don't lose my temper as much. What are you staring at? Get to work. So, the, so what the author is trying to get across is that this is our view of God, that he's over there looking down on us, judging us. Of course, we know that God takes sin seriously. But why? You see, that picture of where sin is between us and God is really a false picture because if you think about it, if you're a believer, 
Who indwells you? The Holy Spirit. That's right. Of course, we know that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is in us. He dwells in us. And the far better picture is that when it comes to dealing with our sin, God, by his Spirit, is with us. He wants to work with us on those things that do not give us life. And for me, that's such a helpful concept. Okay, it's not, it's not just sin grieves God or it's against his holiness, but it's also that sin does not lead to life. Why is God opposed to sin? Because so often, sin is what diminishes us. Sin is what so easily can break us down. So often it's sin that breaks relationship. See, and so sin is not life. And so God wants to walk with us so that we can deal with those sins. And that's what he does. See, the problem is so often in our Christianity, what we hear is do more, be more, shape up more, okay? And the list goes on. The only question is, how much is enough? How much is enough? Before we have God's favor. And the problem is, that never works. That's never sufficient motivation. A God who's looking down at you, pointing his finger at you, is not going to be a high motivation. But rather, what do we do is we look at those passages of Scripture where we read that we are God's beloved children. You're going to be looking at that in Ephesians chapter 5. Beloved children. Yes, we sin. We don't diminish that. But as beloved children, God wants to come alongside us and be with us. That's his desire. And then together, we work at those things that God wants to do in our lives that give us life. There's a book called The Cure, written by John Lynch, and listen to what he says. You have as much God as you gain to get. He lives in you. You are in him. How much closer do you want than that? Every moment of every day fused with you, there he is. He never moves, never covers his ears when you sin, never puts up a newspaper, never turns his back. He's not over on the other side of your sin, waiting for you to get it together so you can finally be close. It's incredible, don't you think? That's why they call it good news. Good news. Okay? I thank God that in spite of my sin, God is there with me, revealing my sin, 
and then desiring to work with me on it. So, as you look at the next part of the passage, as you come to him, the living stone, who is that? Jesus. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the picture here is, okay, so you've put those, put those sins behind you. Recognize that God is with you. You have his spirit. And now, what do we need to recognize? God is building us together into a building where Jesus is the chief cornerstone. So we are anchored into him. So we are constantly desiring to become like Jesus. And so, this is a wonderful picture. What God does is he brings us as individuals, different shapes, different hues, different backgrounds, etc. Okay, and what he does is he carves out those stones, and what's he doing? He's making a building, a place where he can dwell. So when you study the New Testament, you discover that God's Spirit, yes, he dwells in us individually. But you know what's actually interesting is that in the New Testament, the primary way in which the Holy Spirit dwells in his people is through us corporately, together. You, together, are the place where God's Spirit dwells. And I think that goes so much against the individualism of, of our day. We think that much of the Christian life has to do with who? Me. My, as opposed to, no, the most, what's so important is that God indwells us together. That's where his spirit is at work. So how will the world know that we are his disciples? By being in these four walls? He says, John says, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have one for another. And when you know how difficult it is to get along with brothers and sisters in Christ, is that an easy task? I think the only way in which it can truly happen is when God's Spirit is at work amongst us and where we work through things which needs the power of the Spirit of God. It cannot happen without the Spirit of God. To love one another, as Peter says, dearly, deeply. And it's only by that that the world will know that we are his disciples. So I believe that our most powerful apologetic in a world that is falling apart is us, the kind of life that we live. 
where the Spirit of God is at work amongst us, where together we have deep relationships. See, I'd like to suggest to you that by yourself, you study the New Testament, you will never really grow spiritually by yourself. It's a partial idea that me, God, and the Bible is sufficient. Because you know what the Bible says when you read the Bible? We need each other. Are you with me? Okay, who's going to speak into my life? Probably in my lifetime I've heard thousands of sermons. Probably, in one sense, I don't need another sermon. You with me? I've heard thousands. You know what my problem is? Application. Exactly. Okay? And so, who is it that's going to speak into my life? Who is it that's going to help me see my blind spots? And I have them. If you've been married for any length of time, <laughs> what do we know? Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay? And so I'm not, I'm not down on sermons, please. Don't get me wrong. But they are insufficient by themselves. We need others speaking into our lives. And if they're not, I would like to suggest to you, and this, you can take this as you want, but I don't think we will grow spiritually without others who love us, first of all. So any correction needs to happen in the context of love. So because my wife loves me, <laughs> she will say certain things, okay? And that doesn't affect our relationship. Might for the minute, <laughs> okay? But yeah, you know, so what is God wanting to do? He's wanting to build a spiritual house where our service where we are, as it were, in this world, a kind of priesthood. Okay? And we know that we live in a world where Jesus is generally rejected. The truths of Scripture are generally rejected, and so Jesus becomes a stumbling block, as Peter points out. Okay? So the world does not love Jesus. He does not love the truth that he stood for whilst he was on earth and that he continues to speak into this world through his people. But let me again remind us, we do not engage in malice and slander. We do not become hypocritical. Okay? But we live out the truth as God's people. We love and we care for one another and then... From that, we can reach out into the world so that we represent him well. You see, we live in a world where increasingly we are becoming, in this country, polarized, divided. There's a part of me that's kind of sad because you wonder, 
how will ev- how will people ever, as it were, be reconciled or come together? And I think what we're going to find is that increasingly we as Christians become marginalized, just like the people in Peter. So there's a great book, it's called A Creative Minority. Why? Because you and I in this world are becoming increasingly a minority. But we are to live as a minority, not by engaging the world in the way in which they engage which is vitriol and anger and bitterness and so on. Rather, we live out as God's people where our primary focus is encouraging one another. Let's live out his truth. Let's love one another and care for each other so that we can make it in this world. And we don't feel isolated and alone. There's so many books that have come out about Western culture, which says that largely we are alone. What's the number one malady in the West? Not drugs, not alcohol. Depression, loneliness. People are lonely. And sadly, you even find that amongst believers. People are lonely. Why? Because they don't see the importance of relationship. So we need to take these images to heart that God is wanting to build us into a house, interlocking stones. Right? Interlocking stones. We are, we are to be connected one to another. He says, you are a chosen people, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So you listen to that terminology there, what does it harken back to? When it says you are a holy nation, God's special possession, royal priesthood and so on, who are in Christ, and it's terminology that goes back to the Old Testament. Okay? And so, the simple point that I think Peter wants to make is, we are called to be God's people, just as Israel in the Old Testament was God's people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And what, were they, what was their job? They were to be a light amongst the nations. I think that's the simple point that he's trying to get across to us. Us together as God's people, are a light to those around. We represent God in a sense. We are his people. Can we see God? No. Can we see Jesus? No. But when people look at us as God's people together, we are his body. We are his representatives. So in the Old Testament, as people looked at Israel, how they lived, the kind of life that they had, and as people looked in, what were they to say? Wow. We don't have that. They were to be a righteous 
just people, where they cared for each other. In the New Testament, as the people look at us, what are they to say? Wow, those are God's people. They care for each other. They love one another. And that's the great challenge of the New Testament and what Peter is trying to get across. We are to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So what does a life of darkness look like? It's full of malice and slander and hypocrisy and those kinds of things. When we see God's people and we listen to them, there's a different kind of speech. There's a different way a way that draws others in. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Isn't that wonderful to know? We are God's people. And he loves us. He wants the best for us, and he wants to grow us with pure spiritual milk. He wants us to become increasingly like Jesus. And as we encourage people to, in discipleship to follow Jesus, and as you listen to Jesus, what kind of person was he? Was he a person who walked out around constantly angry? Bitter? Yes, he spoke truth. But so often, what was he doing? He was putting up with the disciples. He was putting up with their brokenness and false ideas. And he was gentle. And he was constantly nudging them in the right direction. And yes, he would confront, but you never sense that it came out of a lack of love and caring. And always in the context of truth. And so as believers, we are called to bring together these ideas, truth and love, living it out in this world. I just want to point you to verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So as the people that Peter was addressing were living out these truths as they were doing good, I believe, to one another as well as out there to the world. And I believe that's the right order of things. We do good to who first? The household of God. We build one another up. We pour our energies into maturing one another which only the Spirit of God ultimately can do. And then what do we do? We reach out to the world from a position of help. Good deeds. Why are we doing them? Simply because we want to represent God well in this world. We earn nothing, but we are still called to put in effort to serve God from a heart where we know that we are not condemned, 
where we are loved as beloved children. And so I close with this illustration. It's amazing how quickly time goes. I close with this illustration. Years ago, Sue and I went to the Redwoods. Many years ago. And I don't know if you've been there and you've seen those magnificent trees. Maybe you've seen them in person or you've seen them in pictures. But those Redwoods, massive, almost like cathedrals to heaven. And uh, what you discover if you read about them is that they have a root system which actually is quite shallow in comparison to the tree. But what happens is in the redwoods is the roots of the tree grow out and they interlock with other trees. They actually grow into each other so that if a tree is up on a hill and it's getting less moisture, moisture can actually be passed through trees to those trees that have less moisture. Or maybe they require certain whatever, minerals or whatever, they can be passed, as it were, through the root system. And occasionally they'll find a tree that's just fallen over. Why? Because it was insufficiently connected to other redwood trees. And I think that's a wonderful illustration of us as God's people. The more we are interconnected with one another, by God's Spirit, the more we will grow in our faith. The more God can do amongst us, the more we can be a light in this world as we constantly remind one another of these great truths. But an isolated Christian will find it very difficult to grow and to stand. We need each other. And that's what Peter is saying. And so, God is building his church. He loves his church. It is through it that we will be able to demonstrate who God is by the life that we live. May God enable us to do that. Let's pray, shall we? Yeah, Lord, we're so grateful that you've given us your spirit. Thank you that you are building us into a building, that your desire is to build your church, local expressions in different places where we can represent you. And Lord, may we represent you well. May we know that it is you who is at work in this world. By ourselves, we can do very little. But together with your people, we can impact, first of all, one another. And then we can draw others to yourself. Continue to show us how we can do this in different ways. And Lord, may we continue to rest in the fact that you love us, that you care for us, that Lord, we do not have to earn anything, but our lives are simply a response to your grace and to your mercy day by day. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.